to welcome you back once again to our worship services this weekend. I'm still in the Philippines helping out pastors and local churches fulfill God's great commission. And I want to thank you for giving me the time to help us fulfill our vision to be an epicenter of life transformation, not just locally, but also around the world. I'm looking forward to getting back, though, and starting our brand new series called Chosen. You know, when I think about what it means to be chosen, it reminds me of an experience I had as a child that I'll be sharing with you more about next weekend, where I was one of those kids that was the last one to be picked to be on any team. last maybe even now as an adult you always feel like you're a last pick i want you to know that you're god's first pick you matter so much to him if you know somebody's ever struggled with feelings like that and i think all of us have then invite them to be a part of this series as we delve into ephesians chapter one and discover just how much we matter to god now this morning i want to invite back our guest speaker dr walter kaiser a distinguished old testament professor an author and a man of god and he's going to conclude our series, Overcoming Fear. Give him a warm welcome. Well, it's a delight to be back for second weekend. Some of you were here last week, and God bless you for coming back this week after you were here last week. Uh, and thank you, too, for the privilege of... Uh, uh, joining in this uh, series. I have learned uh, a lot as I have uh, studied for it uh, myself. The uh, topic, Overcoming Your Fears, the last one in the series is the fear of God. 
Uh, there are a number of texts that really focus on this, but the outstanding one is the model for the whole book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is actually the beginning of living. The fear of the Lord is what life is all about. And that's what I'd like to try to show you briefly this evening in this passage. There are other passages that join right in, but I saw that uh, Pastor Dale had listed Ecclesiastes, and I said, aha, that's my chance to sneak back in the Old Testament. So, since I teach Old Testament, here we go again. And I'm back into that particular section. There are a number of places where this occurs in the biblical text. First of all, I think in Genesis chapter 21, there was a statement there <clears throat> which really showed that uh, there was no fear of God in that place. Abraham said that, which is his word for religion. It's interesting that here the greatest world religion has no word for religion. Actually, it has no word for uh, theology either. The knowledge of God functions in the Bible for theology. But the way you say religion in the Bible, uh, Abraham said, uh, I was fearful because in this place, I didn't think there were any religious people at all. There was no fear of God. But our point of view about God determines uh, what we think about life. Matter of fact, the only fear we ought to, should, and ever could even entertain is the fear of God. And I want to describe that to you tonight. It, it's the point of the message. What does it mean to really fear a holy God? Now, first of all, negatively, it doesn't mean to be scared. It doesn't mean to be frightened. Uh, Exodus 20, 20 says, fear not, rather fear the Lord. There, the same word is used. Uh, and he says, don't be frightened, but rather, instead of just coming apart in your life, put your solid confidence and trust in God. Genesis 22, when Abraham took Isaac, uh, he had waited for Isaac for quite a while. He was 100. His wife was 90, and the Lord says, you're going to have a child. Well, <laughs> when Sarah heard that, she said, that's a yuck, uh, that I'm going to have a child. Uh, and the Lord heard her laughing, and he said, honey, uh, this is my translation, honey, don't laugh. Uh, uh, the last laugh is on you. You call him Isaac. Uh, so uh, there's a little pun there. You probably can't get it. And if you're like my brother who teaches uh, college Russian, he uh, Dan just turns green at the gills when I start punning. But I learned it from the Bible. So what are you going to do? But at any rate, uh, here is Abraham. He's waited for this child for 25 years. And everything is writing on it. Matter of fact, this service is writing on it. If anything happens to Isaac, this service is immediately dismissed. Christmas is canceled, Easter is canceled, the whole thing is out the door. So uh, 
the Lord said, I want you to give me back Isaac. And what does Abraham say? Yes, Lord. He trusts the Lord. I mean, <laughs> if you're in good Jewish style, you say, oi vey. Uh, how could this be? We can't give the boy back. And on the way up the hill, he tells the servants, uh, we will go, we will worship, and we will come again. What's he thinking? Apparently, he's thinking God's able to raise him up from the dead. No big problem. He gave it to him first time. So going up the hill, Isaac says, hey, Dad. Yes, son. Uh, you've got the knife. You've got a rope. You've got fire. You've got wood. Aren't you missing something? Which is good thinking. Good thinking. They need a sacrifice. And what does the father say? God will provide. And then up on the hill. Can you imagine this? I mean, look at the pathos here. Uh, come here. I mean, the boy's what? 18, 22? Come here, Isaac. And he starts wrapping him around. Dad, you feeling okay? I mean, that's not in the Bible. That's marginal reading. Uh, and uh, it's okay, son. Round, round, round. And he, uh, picks him up, takes him over, puts him on the altar. And, and then stretches the knife out. And is about ready to come down. And God calls from heaven and says, Avraham, Avraham, don't touch the boy. <laughs> Isaac didn't have his hands, but I imagine he's, that was close. Uh, but what did God say? Now I know you fear me. What's the fear of God? It begins with belief and trust. And goes on to obey and then worship. All that's wrapped up in this fear. The genuine fear of the Lord. They're midwives. They feared the Lord. Shifra and Pua. I don't think they're the only two girls on duty for obstetrics. Uh, they must have been head of the union. Uh, Pharaoh calls them in and says, uh, hey girls, how's it going? And they said, Pharaoh, you wouldn't believe it. Phone rings, we get around the corner, lay it again, lay it again. These Hebrew girls are lively, you know, and, and the Bible doesn't pause there and say, oh, dear reader, record your feelings here. The Bible is just describing, but it is not prescribing there. It describes what they said. What was it that uh, was at the heart of this? Here's what was at the heart. It was that the midwives feared God <coughs> more than they feared Pharaoh. That's the point of our passage. <coughs> well, now let's look in the passage itself. And I want to look here in terms of uh, where we're going. Let's look at point number one. The first reason that we really need to look to see what God has uh, given to us. And that comes in the uh, beginning. We're going to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If you brought your text along with us, uh, then you'll need to look at that. You'll see the definition here as we go by. The fear God is to believe him, obey him, and then serve him in worship. And we have to learn how to fear God. Deuteronomy has just loads of passages, chapter 4, chapter 14, 
chapter 17, chapter 31. But this fear is the guiding principle of every life. And it's the essence of what it means to really come to know God. So with that, I'd like to go on into our text. And our text is going to be two passages. The last verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. Now, all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, because this is the entirety of a man. The word duty is not in the original text. This is what a man, this is what a woman is all about. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or whether it's bad. Oh, thanks, yeah. Uh, so we want to take the reasons. What are the reasons we should fear God? And I think that we begin to look. I'm going to go back to chapter 3 in Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verse 1. And our first reason is going to be one here in which we uh, look at this uh, text to begin to help us to understand some of the great themes of who God is and what he has uh, done for each of us. This is a marvelous uh, text uh, uh, that I think really takes us uh, far down the road. And the first reason is because God's plan embraces everything. Look at 3.1. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. If people have not understood very many texts of the Bible, they know this one. And this one is the great theme that comes up in the biblical text. Uh, God has made everything beautiful in his time. And uh, uh, that's 3.11. And he has also put eternity into the hearts of all persons. I think every person is built by God, made by God, made in his image. And because they're made in his image, there's a vacuum. There is an uh, emptiness that is as big as all outdoors. In 2003, the White House, the Bush White House, appointed a New York City artist, uh, Mikato Fujimura. It was a six-year term to the National Council of Arts. His studio up to that point had been three blocks away from ground zero. As a matter of fact, that's where he was on September 11th, 2001. Shortly after this, he came to know the Lord. And he speaks of his conversion as the way it changed his whole outlook. He said, for the first time, I could trust reality. What I saw out there is exactly what was going on inside of me. And he said, I must tell you that on September 11th, when the Twin Towers came down, I saw them as twin symbols of capitalism and materialism. And he said that uh, 
up until September 11th, we artists work literally and figuratively in the shadow of these symbols. But he said the devastation that was left at ground zero had left such a hallowed sense of a presence that was greater than any of our so-called postmodern world with its symbols of materialism and capitalism, that vacuum at ground zero. And what replaced these two towers for this man was a concept of the fear. The fear in a genuine sense of trust in the living God. For God had put eternity into his heart. So let's look at these uh, themes. We could move on to the next slide here. Uh, and the motto of this book is, Vanity of vanities, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Or the, the NIV, which I also worked on, and uh, therefore you should... <laughs> uh, Bible translations are wonderful, but they also are translations. And uh, in the final day, if you see a lot of translators in one line, get in the other. It'll just go faster. Uh, but at any rate, they're going to have to answer for all these. I don't know who it was, uh, but I was on the team. They translated Havel, Havelim, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. Well, that's true. End of story. Don't go on. <laughs> Why read the rest of the book? If it's meaningless, okay, it's meaningless. But I think this word here, which is the same word as Abel, Havel, uh, why the first couple, why Adam and Eve named their first child this word, I don't know. But it means fog or mist or vapor or change. I would translate this transitoriness of transitoriness, transitions, transitions, change, change. All is changing. It is. It is. And the great search of humanity is, where do I plant my feet? Where's solid ground? Everything's shifting. Everything seems to be moving. And this text says, look, the fear of God. For this Lord, in 222 verses, some say, well, the whole book is negative. You probably were raised like I was, that this natural man's point of view, and therefore it goes on until the last two verses, and God says, now hear the conclusion, the sum, uh, the Hebrew word there is sof. Hear the, the summary, uh, the bottom line of the whole thing. Fear God and listen to his word. You say, that's not what I got out of the book. I thought it was zilch of zilch. All is a big goose egg. It's just uh, zeros, zeros, zeros. But I don't think so. I don't think so. And why write a whole book, chapter 1, 2, 3, 8, 9, 10, 11, and then in the last two verses, it's like a pastor preaching on sin and making it very, very vivid the whole time as he describes it. And then just says, uh, and now a commercial from our sponsor. Don't forget to fear God and go to church. Amen. Uh, uh, we're dismissed. You know, you'd say, 
there's something wrong with that message. It's uh, at least not balanced. Uh, so only God knows the beginning from the end. Look how this develops then after these. Because God's plan embraces everything, here's the principle. God is in charge. He knows me. He knows all of what is happening. And it goes into 14 pairs. I won't try to list all these. A time to be born, a time to die. Yeah, touche. What else is new? Uh, a time to plant and a time to uproot. Yeah. If you go from the human world to the vegetable world, uh-huh. And uh, he goes one after another with these great contrasts, one after another. So what's his point and what's he trying to say? There is a right time for everything. This time he doesn't say under the sun, but he says under heaven, under heaven. So the phases and times and seasons of life are all there. And God has gone before us, and he knows us like a book. Knows us like a book. And therefore, what better place to put our confidence when everything else is shifting? When the economy shifts, when the international scene shifts, when the political thing shifts, when the moral scene shifts, when the academic world shifts, and when the religious world shifts... I put my trust in him. That's the first reason, because God has a plan, and it incorporates everything. But it's more than that, and that is because God, secondly, our second reason here with our next slide, because God has put eternity into the hearts of men and women. What does a worker gain from his toil? He asks this over and over again. So what do you get out of it all? What's the point of life? What's the point of all the hassle? And, and I say, yeah, that's a good question. Who's going to answer that? So what's the use of all my labor? What can define me? Can my work define me? Can my degrees define me? Can my CV define me? Can my marriage define me? Can my kids define me? Can my grandkids define me? Can my portfolio <laughs> that I used to have, can that define me, you see? Uh, no, no, none of those can define me. Nor can wisdom, nor can poverty define us. For he says, I've seen the burden God has laid on men. And what's the burden? The burden is if I try to make sense out of this stuff, then I get afraid. I really am afraid. I may not say it, but I'm afraid because it doesn't add up. It doesn't compute. It isn't right. It isn't fair. It isn't just. So then what? Verse 11, God has made everything beautiful in its time. And he has put eternity into the hearts of men and women. Look at that. You and I have such a built-in vacuum, a built-in capacitator, that we, in a sense, are like ground zero. 
ground zero where there used to be these great monuments to one thing after another, but it's vacant. It's vacant. And we are hollow people. Someone was asking me about, are there symbols of gifts that God has given to nations? Yes, I said. Uh, For example, to the Egyptians, God gave wisdom. When Solomon was given wisdom, he was wiser than the men of Egypt. Exclamation point. Uh, God gave uh, to the Greeks, God gave philosophy. To the Romans, God gave law. And I was going on like that. <laughs> Someone's put up their hand in class. It's always a fearful moment. Uh, and uh, he said, uh, what did God give America? Well, I hadn't thought of that one. So I quickly responded, plastic. But at any rate, uh, God has made everything beautiful in its time. And we have this capacity given by God in which we want to know. Look how the text goes on here to say here. He said, he has said eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. Imagine that. Here I am built by God, made by God. I mean, stamped on me, made in USA. No, made by God, not Heckel and Mexico, but rather built by God, built by God. That, that's what's stamped on there. And, and, and the point is, I can't figure it out. A from Z, Alpha from Omega. And he said, but I know that there's nothing better for men than they should be happy and do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is a gift of God. So I can't know the beginning from the end. I can't know A from Z until I come to know him. A from Z until I know thee. For the fear of God, it's right, it was the beginning. It's the beginning of living. It's the beginning of believing. It's the beginning of going on. It's the beginning of putting the stuff together and getting some sense of how things are threaded together. So like the Greeks who said, What are the basic building blocks? I mentioned this last week. They said uh, earth, fire, air, and water. They said, yes, but what holds those all together? Uh, You've got those four, but what's the fifth thing? What's the quintessence? Finally, they came up with ether. (laughs) But they should have said God. God was the one who was weaving all this together. You ever sensed that? Loneliness in your heart? Ever since that vacuum in your heart? Like ground zero? There used to be monuments there, symbols of this or that. But there's a hunger there. Why? Because we're not beasts. We're humans with value and with a great future because God has made us in his image. Look at the third reason here. Because everything God does will endure forever. This text says that God wants us to be happy. It does say that. It's not health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. 
But it is a text here in which it's saying here that everything I eat, I drink, and I find satisfaction in, he said, guess what? It's a gift of God. No, it isn't. You say, I did it the old-fashioned way. I earned it. And Lord said, no, I gave you the ability. You said, yeah, but it's by the sweat of my brow, a little German, and the sweat of my frow. So the two of us, we actually earned all this together. And Lord said, yeah, because I gave you the strength. I gave you life. I woke you up every day after day. You ought to know I love you. You ought to know I'm chasing you, like we said from Psalm 23 last week, with goodness and kindness and mercy all the days of your life. And things that are so elementary as the basic things of eating and drinking and finding satisfaction in your paycheck. He said that comes from above. That's why we thank God for our food. That's why we thank him for life. That's why we thank him for the surprise of each new day. There's no way in which any of us can say, Lord, I'm going to go to sleep, but you better wake me up in the morning. So help me. I mean, we're serious about this. You owe it to me. He does. He does. No, no, it's a gift. It's a gift. And that's what he talks about here. So he says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing taken from it. Because everything God does will endure. And then he says in verse 14, why does he do this? God does this so that mortals may fear him. Mean be scared of him? No, that misses it by a country mile. So they come to trust him, put our full confidence and weight in him, so much so that we recognize he's Lord and he has a right to ask us certain things. And therefore we obey him. Obedience is not a spiritual luxury in the Christian life. Not for a sovereign like a great God who rules over the whole universe, whom each one of us are going to have a personal interview one day. I mean, really? We come before him, it says so, at the end of this book. And you say, yeah, but this is Old Testament. Okay, then Second Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear, did I say all? Yes. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ given account of deeds done in the body, whether good or bad. So in that final day, we look our Lord in the eye, and he's going to say to me, Walter, okay, you had three score and ten. What did you do with it? Oh, <laughs> you should have been there. The 21st century was a bummer. I mean, it was hard. I mean, there was stuff going on all the time. Lord said, yeah, but... How about my stuff? Did you see any joy? Did you recognize any of the gifts? Did you sense any of the fear of me? Or were you more afraid of the market? Were you more afraid of 
the political atmosphere, were you more afraid of what the guys at the shop thought or those on the faculty thought? Really? Didn't you know we were going to talk about this? Didn't I tell you that there's a day? Now, I've forgiven you. There is forgiveness, but oh, my. You say, yeah, Lord, but now we're in heaven. I'm changed. I'm really going to get involved. I'm going to go door to door, and, and uh, I'm going to go to the jails in heaven and, and see the people. All for over, there's no people like that anymore. Only one life. My grandmother had that in her kitchen. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. What are you doing? I said, oh, come on, stop bugging me. I've got to because I've got to answer for this message. And I've got to stand in line someday. And Lord wants to know, did you say it kindly, but did you say it truly? And did you ask God's men and women to what extent is there the real legitimate fear of God in your life? Look at our fourth reason here. Because fearing God is what life is all about. I was working on another set of, uh, uh, for publication, some lessons this week, and I came across Isaiah 8, 12 and 13. The Lord said, don't fear what they fear or dread. They were worried about Tiglath-Pileser and Sargon II and Sennacherib out of Nineveh, the great Assyrian host. The Lord said, don't fear what they fear or dread what they dread. He is the one you are to fear, speaking of God. He is the one you are to dread, and he will be a sanctuary. Lord, make me a sanctuary, we sing. Look at this. Look at this. He himself will be that sanctuary. So as we come to the conclusion of this chapter, he said, did you see what I've said in this book? which so many collegians and so many younger people of many generations have said, my favorite book is the book of Ecclesiastes, but it's a book that's very contemporary. Change, change. Like, uh, like what you see on a real cold morning, how the vapor comes out of the mouth there and, and, and disappears and so there's transition there. There is uh, change and change and change is going on. But the Lord said, do you know where to find a fixed point to reference? Do you know where that Archimedean point is that moves the whole of what God has called you to do? Keep his word. Keep his word. He said, fear God and keep his commandments. Because this is the mannishness of a manness, the femaleness of a woman. And then goes on to say, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. God can, yeah, he keeps it in the book. So he knows there's not a deal that goes down in business, not a deal that goes down from the bench, not a deal that goes down in a marriage. Not a deal that goes down in a school or in a church. But God says, 
I saw that. Do you fear me? Or you just fear getting caught? This is the great theme here in this particular passage. The call of life is revealable in the final day. Every work, good or bad, of every mortal, every secret deed, just as 2 Corinthians 5.10 says. So, how do we conclude? What do we say? Despite change, change, transition, transitoriness, movement back and forth, and used to be this way, and now it's that way, and now it's going to be that way later on, God has a plan that involves every single person. If God knows the stars by name, which are way past the trillions, how come he, I think he doesn't know six billion plus people on earth right now? By name? He knows it's like a book. And God has placed the capacity as big as all outdoors to know the quintessence of life, of meaning. Oh, yes, Ground Zero did leave a hollow presence. And so has modernity, and so is post-modernity. So what's the biblical text say? Godliness with contentment. Super. It's great gain. 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. And the fear of the Lord, that's how it begins. Are you living? Start here. You're not living? Start here. Are you learning? You're not learning? Start here. The fear of the Lord. Are you worshiping? You're not? Start here. The fear of the Lord. What a great heavenly father. How magnificently he has spoken to us so basically about his word. I wish I could make it plainer. I have worked with this concept for years and I get a little bit more and more understanding of it, but I think it's way beyond anything I could even begin to dream, the fear of the Lord. But it's true, as Solomon said, it's the beginning of wisdom, beginning of knowledge, beginning of worship, beginning of living. And God has deliberately made us, making everything beautiful. It's our word. That's beautiful. God's made everything beautiful in its time. And he's put a capacity, a deep hunger, a deep desire. I want to know. I want to be known. I want to figure it out. I want to see how it fits. Lord said, yeah, I know. I know. So come to me. And begins with five times over in this book. Eat and drink and enjoy your paycheck. He doesn't say like the Epicureans, for tomorrow we kick the bucket. We're all dead. Eat and drink and enjoy all these things. For it's a gift of God, gift of God, gift of God. Eleven times in this book, which everyone said was secular. I had another manuscript, 600 pages that came to me this week. Will you endorse this book? And I looked at it, and it says, the whole thing is what 
of Ecclesiastes is what not to believe. What not to believe? Look at the conclusion. Did you get my point? Everyone tries to take the last two verses. They say, well, they were at it later on. But we have no manuscripts that are without them. All of our earliest manuscripts have those last two verses. Can you hear God's call this night? In this series of facing our fears, overcoming our fears, ah, the way to begin is with the fear of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bless your name together and ask for your special help and guidance. Now, what shall we do with what we have seen in your word? We need to respond to that word. And therefore, hear our cry. Lord Jesus, to the best of my ability, I want to respond positively to you, fear you, love your word, and learn how to walk with you the rest of the days of my life. For it's in your name I pray. Amen.